Amen. Thank you, praise team. It was wonderful. Wonderful job. Appreciate that so much today and just uh, instilling our hearts with a spirit of worship. Can't do it through those songs. You can't worship. So those are beautiful songs to just lift up the Lord today. Take your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you're visiting today, we're glad to have you here today. We're glad you're with us. Uh, today is a message I'm going to preach called Generational Blessing, a generational blessing. And this is something I want to share with you. So find your places in 2 Kings chapter 4. While you're finding your place in your Bible, let me just say this then too. Uh, they had a wonderful ladies' conference here this week in Friday and Saturday morning. And uh, Reba Bowman was the guest speaker, keynote. And uh, just a lot of work went into that. Heard so many comments for some of the ladies. I appreciate that so much. That's just a encouragement to me that ladies are coming together, fellowshipping, wanting to grow in the word and wanting to grow in their relationships with each other. And I'm thankful for all those ladies who were behind the scenes uh, putting that together. Lots of groups came together to make that event a reality. And so thank you for that just wonderful job from this past weekend. Now, if you found your place in 2 Kings chapter 4, stand with me now as we come to God's word. 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 8 to 17. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please, let us make a little walled-up chamber, and let us set a bed for him there, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him. He said to Gehazi, Say now to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year you will embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God. Do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. You may be seated. For those uh, who are visiting today, this is an unusual day for us. We are entering into our fourth capital campaign, our building program here at the church. We're calling this next campaign, Next Gen 2023. We're focusing on several aspects in this next generation building, and really it's going to be a 32,000 square foot building, three stories. It's going to house our new nursery that we're going to relocate from the other end of the property over to this side. It's also going to have some meeting rooms there that can be used throughout the day on the second floor. And then the first and third floors are going to be for educational space for all different types of purposes at our church here. Now, I'm excited about this. This is our fourth campaign since I've been here at Triad Baptist Church. And... Uh, our giving campaign begins, or our commitment Sunday, is May 22nd. Now, on May 22nd, this is a day where I'm going to challenge you over the next few Sundays, except for Mother's Day, I'm going to challenge you to be considerate of how could you be a part of giving to this building campaign, and what role could you play? Now, my heart is totally into this, and I want you to know that. I'm going to give you a message that I believe God gave to me to talk about this with you. And uh, on that day, we're going to ask you to consider uh, committing to, above your tithes, a three, over a three-year period, what could you give extra above your tithes and step out in faith and make a faith promise and say, I think I could do this for the next three years at Tri-Baptist Church to help in that building campaign. That's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Many are already ones who have, some have already turned in commitment cards or have gone online and pledged or promised to do that kind of commitment. And so we will uh, use that in the days ahead, but I just want to at least get you aware of that. Now, our giving to the campaign actually begins May 29th, but our commitment Sunday is May 22nd. 
And then if all goes well with the construction company and steel and everything else, we should break ground and begin our building sometime in June. That could get delayed with all the things that have been going on and being delayed, but that's our plans moving forward. Now, having said that, I want to talk to you today about a generational blessing and why this is on my heart and why I went to this passage that I just read to you. A generational blessing begins with generosity. And that, that word generosity is where I really want you to consider in your heart. I've learned generosity is not just about your money. That's part of it. It's not how much you have or how little you have. It's the spirit it comes from. It's really the heart it comes from. If I've learned one thing about God, it's all about your heart. It's all about your heart. I did an interview the other day, and uh, during that interview, I was asked the question, how often do you preach on giving? Now, I could tell by that question, it was kind of a setup from the interviewer who was interviewing me about that. How often do you preach on giving? So I only had a few seconds to think this over in my head, and I said, every Sunday. He said, every Sunday. I said, every Sunday. He, see, he said, you mean you give a little mini-sermon before you take the offering? I said, we don't take the offering. He said, well, then he knew all the terms. He said, you, you, you do a little mini-sermon before you receive the offering. I said, we don't receive the offering. And so I could tell talking to him this was going to be kind of a point of tension. And so I said, we give at Tri-Baptist Church, but we don't receive. And that's one of the problems today when you talk about people's money and their giving. Is that many times what a preacher will do is he'll talk about the receiving and not the giving. And, and they'll preach message about, if you give, you'll get. If you give, you'll get. Give and you'll get. I've never really had that philosophy in giving at this church. This is what I preach, and I've preached it for the 24 years that I've been here. You get to give. You get to give. And that's an amazing philosophy if you'll just think about that for a minute. You are given the privilege to give to the work of the Lord. You get to give. That's what I preach. I'm not promising you anything. I'm not telling you anything. Now, I do believe there's some promises in here, and one of them is here in this passage today. But the truth of the matter is, it again, it all comes back to the heart. Now, I said to this fellow in the interview, I said, what you're really meant to ask me is, how often do you preach on giving your money <laughs> at Tribe Baptist Church? That was the real question. So I answered him after I asked that question to him, and I said, about every seven to eight years. If you look at my history in four campaigns, I've preached about every seven to eight years on giving. And that, that is a statement of who I am as a pastor. But he asked me about giving. And I can't preach one message without talking about giving. I can't preach on anything. I can't, I can't preach on prayer without talking about giving. Because on anything that I preach on, you are giving your heart to the Lord. And it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Now, the question today is this. Are you generous? Are you generous? And I want to ask it in this way, because this is the way it came to me. Are you enough like God to be generous? Are you enough like God to be generous? Now, we know God's generous. The Bible says, All the earth is the Lord, Lord's and the fullness thereof. And then you know what he does? He turns around and he gives it to us. He gives us the whole world. He just gives it to us. That's, that's pretty generous. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's pretty generous. Romans 8. He spared not his only son. That's pretty generous. To not spare his only son. See, in his grace and mercy, God has the nature of, of generosity. God has the nature of generosity. Now, this is an absolutely amazing thing, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but when his nature is in you, you will be generous. 
When his nature is in you, you will be generous. I know I'm generous. I know it. I know the things I've done with my money, and I know the things I've done with people. And, and I know that's in me because the Spirit of God is in me and His nature is in me. Now, here's what I've learned over all the years watching people. If you're not careful, people will talk you out of generosity. They will talk you out of generosity. Sometimes they'll shame you out of generosity. They'll say things like this. You can't afford to do that. You cannot afford to do that. If you do that, they will make a fool of you. They will make a fool of you. That's what they say. You need to take care of yourself. Why aren't you thinking of yourself? You learn some people in life do the least they can to get by. Generous people go above and beyond what all the other people do. Generous people go above and beyond what others do. I love these verses. I almost preached on these, but I passed them up, but I want you to hear them. Proverbs eleven twenty four. A person who gives freely will gain more. A person who withholds comes to ruin. Now, that's an amazing verse, because you'd think the person who hoards would get richer. But the Bible says the more you give, the more you're given back. That's what the Bible says. Verse 25, a generous man will prosper. A generous man will prosper. He who waters will himself be watered. That's what the Bible says. Those are amazing verses. So I couldn't help but as I was getting ready for this message, and how ex I, I wasn't as excited when I started the message, but the more I got into it and studying this passage, I just really got really tuned into this in 2 Kings chapter 4. And I want to talk about three perspectives on giving. Three perspectives on giving. Okay, and, and it's going to keep it simple, but at the same time, it's profound at some levels because I've never really picked up on this. All right, the first thing I want you to see here, this first perspective on giving was her generosity. I'm talking about the Shunammite woman, her generosity, her generosity. The Bible says in verse 8, she was a prominent woman. Now, you might read that and you might say that's about her net worth. She was rich. That's really not the idea here. The greatness was in who she was as a person, and you'll see the Bible explain that as you go along. It's the greatness in who she was as a person, and here's her example given in the Scriptures. It says in verse 8 to 10, uh, when Elisha came to Shunem, there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded Elisha to eat food. Now, let me say this about Elisha. A lot of times I'll get into this message and I'll get so into it, I'll start calling them Elijah and Elisha. That's what my wife just told me from the last sermon. So I want to make sure if I do that, I'm still talking about Elisha no matter what I say, okay? Because I've done it probably 10 times. I went back and watched a few there. But anyways, she persuaded Elisha to eat food. And so it was as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, behold now, I perceive this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make him an extra chamber off of our house. Let's build an addition onto our house. That's what it's saying there. Set up a bed for him, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. And show me, whenever he comes to see us, he can turn in there. Okay. Her generosity. Now, she didn't start out giving at the next level. She just started out making dinner. She just started out making him meals. She noticed a man of God come through town, and she said, every time... You come through this town, I want you to stop at our house. We're going to feed you. That's how she started out. Very simple. It's just she started out in the process of making him meals, just dinner. Okay? But it escalated the process. And she goes to her husband and says, Let's build an extra room onto the house. Let's set him up a bed. Let's set him up a lampstand, a chair, and a table so that anytime he comes through here, anytime he wants to stay overnight, he can stay overnight. We'll feed him and we'll set up a bed and breakfast for this guy. I perceive he's a man of God and I want to do something for him. Now, if we did that today, if we added on an addition to our house today, what, 10 to 20,000 bucks, maybe more in the inflation rate today, but 10 to 20,000 bucks is what it probably costs today. So now he's not just coming to dinner. Now she's got this bed and breakfast going for the guy. And he's saying, he's staying there whenever he comes to town or passes through. Her generosity. Small, simple, 
Let's go on. Number two, his reciprocity. His reciprocity. Now, that word reciprocity is a cool word. That's why I used it. Wasn't even completely sure what it meant, so I looked it up, but I love that word. There's actually uh, there's a journal article by Sage, Sage Journals. And it did this article that just got me to thinking about this, and that's why I'm using this word. The reciprocity of Scripture from theology. Now, it doesn't make much sense to you, but that was an excellent article that started me thinking and applying it to this passage. So Elijah comes through town, and every time he comes through town, he stops, he gets something to eat, and he could even stay overnight if he wants because he's got a bed and an extra room in the house now that she had her husband add on. So now I want you to hear it, okay? Elijah is laying in her generosity. Elijah is laying in her generosity on her bed, on that extra room with a lampstand, table, and chair. He's, he's laying there one day. The Bible says in verse 11, he's laying there, and he turned into the upper chamber, and he took a nap, or he rested on the bed that she had made for him. He's sitting there, he's thinking about it, and he says to his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. He said to him, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken of for the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered and said, I live among my own people. He says to her, he says, you did all this for me. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Now, I want you to understand this. Her gift opened up a conversation because he's now laying in the bed that she has been generous to provide for him. And it opened up a conversation that she never would have had with him unless she gave him supper and an extra room. That's where we're going to start this message. If there was no room and there was no meals, there's no conversation. If there's no bed for Elijah to lay in, he would not have felt this way about her and her kindness and her generosity. He says to himself, I can't let her and her husband be generous to me and not do something back. This is beautiful. So this is going from generosity to reciprocity. Okay? Now, what does reciprocity mean? I had to look up a definition of it because I wasn't totally sure, and it rhymed with generosity, and that's kind of how it flowed together. I took that journal article, applied it to this passage, and I'm using it. So I looked it up. A mutual interchange of favors or privileges. A mutual response in action, effect, or influence. Elijah says... You've been so kind to me. Every time I come by, I come over and you feed me. You have me dinner, and now you build a room for me onto your house, a bed and breakfast to accommodate the man of God. I can't let you continue to do this and enjoy your generosity and not give reciprocity. Now, I want to give you the principle here, and then I'm going to preach on it a little. When you are generous over a period of time, there is coming a day in your life of reciprocity. When you are generous over a period of time, there is coming in your day a reciprocity. She didn't do it for reciprocity. She didn't do it to get anything back. Because she didn't ask for anything back. She didn't ask for anything back. But within the prophet, there was a desire to bless her because she gave from a pure place. She gave from a pure place. What was that pure place? She understood in her heart how good God had been to her. And so she wanted to give something to the man of God because she couldn't give it directly to God. She couldn't kind of cook a meal and throw it up to heaven and hopefully heaven would eat it. She couldn't build a room and ask God to come and live in it because that's not going to work. So she thought in her heart, 
What I could do, though, is I could give to God's servant and let him lay in the bed that she made for him, that she provided for him, and she prepared the food for him. So that's the way she thought in her mind. That's why she's such a prominent woman, because she's thinking, how can I take the goodness of God on my life and pour it into someone else? And Elisha does the same thing. He says to her, how can I be a blessing to you? Now what I want you to do is I want you to picture Elijah is laying in her generosity. This thing sinks a little, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to lay here like Elijah did. He came in one day. He got down with on the little bed she had made for him, and Gehazi is over there, and he starts to think about her. And he's sitting there, and while he's thinking about her, he's, says, man, Gehazi, this woman's been good to us. Well, she, she built an extra room onto her house. What, what can we do for the girl? What, we can do, what can we do for this lady? I mean, she has fed us meal after meal. So he's laying in her generosity. And he starts thinking about her. Now, I want you to hold on to that, okay? Because there's a principle there, and I want you to see it. You'll miss it if you don't watch the text carefully. But he, she is laying, he is, he is a picture of Elisa resting in that bed, thinking about her. Here's the principle. God rests in your generosity. God rests in your generosity. Your generosity creates a bed for God to lie in. Your generosity creates a bed for God to lie in. And when God rests in your generosity, <laughs> it puts you on His mind. It puts you on God's mind. This is over and over in the scriptures. How do you get God to put you on his mind? Generosity. When Isaac was ready to be married, Abraham sent the servant out and he said, I want you to go back to my country. I want you to go back to where I'm from and I want you to get a bride for Isaac. When you go to get that bride for Isaac, I don't want you to just get any girl. He says, I want you to go to the well. And when you go to the well, the woman that comes up to you and says to you, Can, would you like a drink, sir? If she also says to you, can I also give water to your camels? That will be the one that will marry my boy. So the servant goes out, he comes to the well, Rebecca comes up and she says, would you like a drink? And he says, yes, I would. And then she says, can I get water for your 10 camels too? 10 camels. Let me, let me just get this straight, okay? This is no Jack and Jill well where she's just cranking the pump, getting the water out of a well. This is a two to three story deep hole in the ground that the water's two to three stories down. A camel drinks anywhere from 12 to 15 gallons of water in a day, they've just traveled over the desert, and she says, can I get water for your 10 camels? She's got to walk down there with a stave with two buckets hanging off the stave, and she has to walk down that two to three stories, fill it up several times to water those camels and to also give him a drink. That's amazing to me. But Abraham says, that's the kind of woman I want to marry my son. Now, you listen to that carefully, especially if you're a young lady. That's the kind of woman I want to marry my son. And she marries into destiny because she's generous. That's a beautiful thought. The servant found her through her generosity. Amazing. 
Generosity leads to reciprocity. It leads to reciprocity. Elisha the prophet said, what can I do for you? Seeing you have sowed so much into me, I can't receive all this and take and take and take and not give something back. What can I do for you, ma'am? What do you need? What would you like? See, it creates reciprocity. Now, some people, some people receive generosity and say, thank you, that's so kind of you. I appreciate that so much. And they write a thank you note, but they never take the time to think, what could I do back? What could I give back to that person? I don't have money, or I don't have this for that person. What could I give back to them? There's something inside of you, when God is working in your heart, that question will be answered. When can I do something back to the people who keep serving me? The waiter. Good time to be chintzy. Or it's a good time to be generous. When are you going to give back to the people that give to you? Think about that. Your company. When are you going to give back? Your teacher. The ambulance service that picked you up. There are so many ways. I'm telling you, if you know God, something in you wants to have reciprocity. It wants to have reciprocity. It's just in you. You don't want to just take and not give. When Jesus cursed the fig tree, there's lots of reasons why he cursed the fig tree, but one thing is for sure. When that fig tree was taking the sunlight in, taking the water in, and taking the nutrients in, and would give back no figs, Jesus cursed the fig tree. That's an amazing thing. He cursed it. If there is no reciprocity, that is a curse all by itself. That's a curse all by itself. Reciprocity sustains the entire generations. When I was reading this article from Sage Journals, it just hit me about, this is why I applied it to this, but it hit me about God and the way he has created the universe. And it brings out the point that that when God creates something, he has reciprocity in everything. He has designed a universe that will sustain generation to generation to generation. That God takes the water, the water that comes out of the air and falls to the ground we call rain. The rain hits the ground, feeds the ground, and then the rain dehydrates, goes back up to the heavens, and the process returns and repeats itself. Return, repeat, return, repeat. God has designed reciprocity into this universe. When he takes any kind of fruit or any living being, every, anything living, he puts a seed in it. And the reason he puts a seed in it is that so when that dies, the seed can carry on and continue on forever. And it goes to the next seed, to the next seed, to the next side seed because God's got reciprocity built into the whole world system. When an apple produces its apple, it falls to the ground. We eat the apple. There's going to be a time where those leaves fall off the apple tree, and God has designed that even that apple tree will give back to the next generation. The leaves fall to the ground. They decay. They fertilize the ground that feeds them the roots of the tree to be able to produce all over again. Reciprocity. It's all throughout the Bible. The, everything survives under reciprocity, and you can't have Reciprocity without generosity. If reciprocity runs our universe, controls our water, our food, then reciprocity has something to do with your life. That's why the Bible says a generous soul will prosper. It's reciprocity. It's reciprocity. Some of you try to come into favor by hoarding and hoarding and hoarding. And the truth of the matter is, it's not going to work. You think it's going to work, but it is not going to work. Some people will rip other people off. They'll trick them. They're so selfish in their business. There's no reciprocity. There's no generosity. And they think they're going to pull off the whole system. The Bible says you will come to ruin. You will come to ruin. You say, well, I'm still rich. And I'm making a lot of money. There's more than one way to be ruined. You may have a lot of money, but you could have poverty of spirit. 
And I tell you, eventually you have poverty of friends. Because when you live your life like that, the Bible says you will not prosper. That's an amazing thing. People with no instinct to do this, I'm telling you, you watch these people. They take, they take, and they take. And they don't feel bad about it, and they don't have any bad vibes about it. That's the way they are. They just take and take and take and give back nothing. The Bible says, God says, I'll see to it, they get back nothing. They'll get back nothing. And they're comfortable with getting nothing back. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? They're comfortable with getting nothing back. And I'm saying to you, that's a sign of a character flaw. Something's off with that person. Something's off with them. Elijah said, I can't let this be one-sided. I can't stay in your house and not reciprocate. And by the way, if you're young here, I want you to get this into your heart and your head because this is so important to understand. If you ever mature in life, what you'll begin to see is, I got the power bill for free, I got the water for free, I got the roof over my head for free. And one day, if you grow up right, you'll want to reciprocate. You'll reciprocate to those parents. They may not even need it. They may never ask for it. But something inside of you will want to give back. It's God-given. It's God-given. Whether they need it or not, whether they ask for it or not, it's important to your character that you have reciprocity. Very important to your character. The woman modeled generosity. Elisha responded with reciprocity. I should go further with this, but I'll get, I got myself off track here. But if all your kids do is get gifts and get gifts and get gifts and get gifts for Christmas, that problem's more with the parent than the child. Because if you don't take them to a shelter, if you don't visit the elderly, if you're not, if you're not making meals for someone, if you're not putting that into your kid's heart, I promise you, you're going to create a spirit of entitlement in that child to just get and not give. That's why the Bible says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. That's a beautiful verse. Fat is the overflow. Fat is where you store your extra energy. That's your abundance in you. Some of you are doing really well with that. But uh, just understand, this is just a beautiful thing. God, God made, God, God says in Leviticus, I love the fat. He loves the cow that's stuffed and fat because it shows abundance. It shows generosity in the cow. He gave more than he needed to. He gave even the fat. So what is God saying to us about that? God says the liberal, generous soul will have overflow. They will have extra. They will have more abundance. Why? Because of their spirit of generosity. God will see to it. God will see to it. And by the way, if that spirit isn't in you, you've got to break that spirit. And you've got to break that spirit in your children. You've got to break that spirit where they're not generous. Teach them to be generous, to give and to give. Verse 13, he says, he says, you've been good to us. What do you want? Can I introduce you to kings? Can I introduce you to the captain of the army? She says, I live among my people. <laughs> I live among my people. What does that mean? I live among my people. Basically, that means this, I'm fine, I'm content, I'm complete, this is where I fit, that's what it means in the Hebrew, this is where I fit, I don't need to meet kings, I don't need to meet presidents, I don't need to meet the captain of the army, I found the place that I fit. Let me ask you, have you found the place where you fit? Do you have a place where you're safe, a place where you're fit, where you're designed to be in your life? For me, this is this place. This is where I fit. This is where I'm supposed to be. Okay? Where do you fit? Have you found that place? Who are your people? There ought to be people you fit with, you gather with, you're safe with. They don't have to look like you. They, they, they don't have to dress like you. They don't even have to have the color of your skin. Uh, they don't have to have your income, but you've got to have a place where you fit. You've got to have a place where you fit. This is why the Bible says she's a great woman, because she did all that for Elisha, and, he, and she asked nothing in return. I'm fine. I'm content. I am fit. It's beautiful. 
He offers, she says, I'm good. She's not eating up with ambition. She's not reaching to be reaching. She hasn't got an ulterior motive. I'm safe. See, if you're going to be generous, you need to be safe. You've got to so believe that God's been good to you that it flows out of the abundance of how good God has been to you. She knows who she is. She just knows who she is. She's generous. She understands reciprocity. She knows God's done some great things in her life. She said, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Gehazi speaks up and says, she's got one problem she's not telling you about. Elisha says, what's that? She's got no child. Oh, this is good. This is really good. She's got no child. You ready for this? She's got something in her life that money can't buy. She's got a need in her life that money can't buy. This is good. So good. She's got no child. That's her need. Her circumstance is her husband's too old to give seed. She just can't pull this one off. Now I want to talk to someone in here who has a need that money can't buy, that influence can't buy, that looks can't buy. And you've got a need deep in you that you have a void in your heart. There's no way she can get what she longs for with all that she has. And by the way, this is how we grow with generosity. It's a powerful thing to understand. When you can't grow anymore from your fullness and what you've got, God will use other people to bless you because of your generosity. Because generosity leads to reciprocity. I'm trying to drive that home. It leads to reciprocity in your life. This is a beautiful thing. Now, here's the amazing thing. She thought Elijah was in her life so she could be a blessing to Elisha. She had no idea that Elisha was in her life so Elisha could bless her. <laughs> she had no clue. She had no clue. In nine months, Elisha says, you'll have a baby. What does she say in verse 16? It's beautiful. Oh, man of God. Don't lie to your maid, sir. Don't lie to me. Don't play with my heart. Don't you open up my heart. Because there's something down inside of me. My money can't buy. Please don't lie to me about that. She couldn't believe it. She couldn't conceive it. She could conceive being generous. Oh, she could conceive that. She can conceive not having a baby because she didn't have a baby all her life. She could conceive the conditions of life were against her. She could conceive all of that. But what she couldn't conceive was that by being generous, it would open a door that she couldn't open and it would change her life. That's what she couldn't believe, that's what she couldn't conceive, is that God could actually take her generosity and open a door she couldn't open, and it would change her life. It's unbelievable to think about. Now, I'm just asking you today, what is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? What is he saying to you about the attitude of your heart? you got to get down there to the attitude of your heart. Not your checkbook, your heart. The size, not the size of your checkbook, the size of your heart. That's, that's the key to all of this. That's the key to all of this. Giving is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. For God so loved the world, He gave. He gave. Everything He did, He gave. God wants you to be a giver with your service, with your time, with your money. There's things you're doing 
There's things you've stopped doing that you're not doing anymore because you said, what's the payoff? I didn't get paid off. I'm abused by this. People hurt me with this. And you've stopped doing generous things. You stopped giving of yourself. But I'm telling you, as I stand here today, generosity opens doors. And if there's one thing the enemy wants to do inside of you is the enemy, enemy wants you to not believe this powerful principle. It's so simple, but it's powerful. You have a gift to give. Stir it up. Stir it up. Because generosity leads to reciprocity. All right? Generosity leads to reciprocity. Okay, there it is. Her generosity, his reciprocity, and number three, I'm going to close this, okay? God's resurrection. God's resurrection. God gives, I got to fly on this one. God gives the woman a child. She raises the child, gets to 10 years of age. It falls sick and it dies. She says, I got to get to Elisha. I got to find the prophet. I cannot believe this happened. He opened my heart and then he crushed it. He opened me up. And then he killed it. But before she goes running for Elisha, she takes that dead child, that 10-year-old boy, and she finds the prophet chamber of Elisha, and she takes her little boy, 10 years of age, and she lays him in the bed that Elisha slept in. That bed is so key to this passage. The whole context is about the bed. And then she goes after the prophet, and she tells the servant, don't slow down till you find him. Go to Mount Carmel right now. I've got to get him. She takes him to the prophet's bed. She lays that child down. She's on the ride of her life to find Elisha because her promised child is now dead, laying in the prophet's bed. Now stop and think about this, okay? Stop and think about this. Had she not been generous, where would she have laid her boy? Where would she have laid her boy if she had not been generous? What if there was no prophet's bed that she had made? Where would she have laid her lifeless little boy? When she finds Elisha, she discloses the whole problem. And when Elisha comes to the bed that was built for him, that the boy is now lying in, Elisha lays on top of the boy, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, the Bible says. And he resuscitates. He is resurrected back from the dead. He resurrects the boy. Now hear it, okay? From generosity to reciprocity to resurrection. It's incredible to think about this passage. Resuscitation is achieved, but it never had been possible if it wasn't for her original generosity. Now, I'm not saying God's going to raise back your child from the dead, okay? That's not the point of the passage. It was for this girl, this lady, but it isn't for us. What I am saying is there's a giving and a generosity that you can't see that's going to bless your children. It's going to bless your children. That's what I am saying. Let me go further. There's a giving and a generosity that will bless at this church the next generation of young people and the next generation after that. There's a giving that goes on at this church and a generosity that goes on in this church, and some of you have done it for years and years and years, and it's going to go on to the next generation because of your generosity, and it's going to go on to the next generation because of your generosity. I know I'm not going to get everybody in here, but I'm going to get a lot of you. I know it. I know it because you have the ability to see that. You have the ability to see the impact of that. I call it a generational blessing. That's why we called it the Next Gen 2023. She didn't even know it when, you, when she built the bed. She built the bed for God's prophet. Never knowing her child was going to end up in that bed dead. And that would be the spot. That would be the spot where the miracle would occur. That's beautiful. 
Because where you sow your generosity, that's the spot of the miracle. Where you sow, that's the spot where the glory comes from. Where you sow, that's where the miracle occurs. It's, it's not the bed, okay? Don't miss this. It's not the bed. It's the generosity that created the bed. That's what it's about. It's the generosity that created the bed. The power's not in the bed. It's in the generosity. Generosity is the spirit that built the bed in the first place. So this is a clarion call today to someone who's lost their ability to be generous, lost their passion to be generous. I'm telling you, exercise this passion to be generous now. Why? So later in life, when something of yours gets in trouble, it can rest in the place of your generosity. That's where it'll rest. If I'm reading this Bible right, you will affect generations through generosity. Stir up the gift. Future generations are blessed from the generosity that all started here. All started here. And so many of us don't even have a place to lay the next generation. We don't have people to help us with our children because we don't help them with their children. We don't have mercy because we don't sow mercy to others. We don't have kindness because we don't sow kindness to others. We don't get loyalty because we haven't sown loyalty to others. Check your heart, not, not your wallet, your heart. God blessed that woman before she ever had a child because he blessed her to be a blessing. Yes, what I'm asking you to do, May 22nd, I'm asking you to sow financially into this ministry, into this building, into the future of this church. Yes, I'm asking you to do that with all my heart, but this woman did not know that that room and that bed would be the storehouse of her blessing. She did not know that. She laid her dead boy in that bed, and little did she know he'd be resurrected in the place of her generosity. That's beautiful. Now, I believe there are promises that God's given you that have died inside of you. They've died inside of you, and they need to be resurrected in your life. God needs a place to lay that dead thing in your heart on the place of your generosity. I believe this, okay? I believe this with all my heart. You need to have enough generosity to have that bed laying there for that challenge that you don't even know is coming yet. I'll say that again because that's good. You need to have enough generosity to have that bed laying there for that challenge that you don't even know is coming yet in your life. But in the time of need, the gift you gave will help you with that unknown time. She put the child in the place of her generosity. And one day, the father took his own son and put him in the place of his generosity. We call it Calvary. And in that very generous place, he put his dead son on a cross And the place of death became the place of life. That's what this is really about. This is really about our relationship to Jesus Christ and how that spirit in within us now wants to give. Wants to give. Let's pray. Praise team is going to come and do our closing song. Let me just say a couple things before I close. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never claimed him. You've never confirmed that you were a sinner before him and said, Jesus, save me from my sin. You died on the cross for the payment for my sin. There needs to be a time in your life you say, I accept that generous gift. And if the Spirit of God's speaking to you right now and you're not saved and you say, Pastor Rob, 
I'm not saved, but I want to be saved. I want to be saved right now. Would you lift up your hand right now where you are and say, I want to be saved. Yes, I see that hand right down there. Is there another one? Is there another one? You just lift it up so I can see it and say, I want to be saved. Hold it up so I can see it. There's another one. God's speaking in this room. And you'd say, man, I need that generosity. My sin deserves judgment. If, I just saw one hand, but if there was another hand, let me just go through the sinner's prayer right here. The prayer doesn't save you, it's your faith. But if you'd say right now, and I just want you to say that at your seat, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But in your generosity, you gave your son to die for me. I trust you. I trust his death to save me. I place my faith in the Lord right now. Save me. Just pray that prayer. You prayed that prayer. I believe on the authority of God's word, you're saved. Now, before I close this service this morning, I want to talk to you who know the Lord. If you know Jesus Christ, it's in your nature to be generous. Still all the negative voices around you. How will this help me? They're taking advantage of me. That's not why you give. It's not why you give. I'm telling you this morning, flow, flow in your gift. Because your gift will release the next generation. Are you generous? <laughs> it could be possible that your life depends on it. Or the life of someone you love. It could be. Father, I take this message now. It's just some beautiful, simple thoughts that have just spoken to me. And speak to these people through it. I just pray your blessing over them. Your presence, your power, your movement. Make us, make us generous. Make us like you. God, I lift it up now and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing now, and we're going to praise the Lord through this song this morning. If there's a need in your heart or something you want to bring to the altar, you're welcome to do that this morning. We're going to worship in song at this time.